Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Harper Academic calling Charles Barber and William Juneboy Outlaw III. Charles Barber, currently writer-in-residence at Wesleyan University, is the author of Citizen Outlaw. Citizen Outlaw follows the life of William Juneboy Outlaw III, who has gone from a gang leader sentenced to 85 years in prison for homicide to a community advocate devoted to fighting violence in New Haven. Since William began his work, the homicide rate in New Haven has dropped an astonishing 70%. Charles and William, who have developed a strong friendship over the years, were our guests at our annual author dinner at the 2020 First Year Experience Conference in Washington, D.C. The following is a recording of the conversation they had on stage at the dinner. Thank you, everybody, for coming tonight. Um, My name is Charles Barber. I'm the author of Citizen Outlaw, One Man's Journey from Gang Leader to Peacekeeper. And I'm here with my good friend and collaborator, William Junboy Outlaw III. Everybody, William I'm going to ask William a couple questions, but I just want to set up the book a little bit. Uh, I'm a college professor, so I appreciate what you do. And I've done some academic work in criminal recidivism and worked with a guy in Connecticut who does that work. And he said, you really need to meet William Outlaw. This is about six years ago. The homicide rate in New Haven, Connecticut, where we're from, uh, has dropped 70% in the last 10 years. And we think that William Outlaw is one of the reasons why. And he, he sent me, this guy's name is Ivan Cusick. And he sent me an email. He said, he also has a big time story. So William and I met almost to the day six years ago, and we've met every week for six years. We come from very different worlds, as you might imagine. And uh, <laughs> it, took, uh, it took two years to get the whole story. But um, the book is divided into three parts. So William grew up in New Haven, housing projects, uh, single mom. His dad stabbed him when he was 13 years old. Um, you know, very rough. The, the industry dropped out of New Haven in the 70s. He became a gang leader at age 13. He ran the biggest gang in New Haven. Um, it didn't last all that long. It was basically blew up by 18. William describes it other than prison as the most miserable, especially towards the end, of n- not a lot of fun. But he made a lot of money. He had 40 people working for him. He created shift structures and payrolls and business models without knowing what those things were. At age 20, he was sentenced to 85 years for a homicide and an additional shooting. His release date was April 2073. They couldn't manage him in Connecticut prisons, and they shipped him to federal prisons across the country, including nine months in solitary in a basement in Kansas. And then everything changed. He was incorrigible, and about age 30, I have his prison records, William and I got them, He became a model prisoner and um, got one disciplinary ticket in the last 10 years of his sentence. And by the way, 
He won an appeal, and so 65 years of the sentence were taken off in one ruling. It was a, three weeks after that that Connecticut shipped him out to Leavenworth and Lewisburg, maybe as a little bit of payback. And then William got out uh, 10 years ago and has gotten involved in violence interruption work, which I'll let him speak about. So the first time that William and I met, uh, I got your story, and I'm going to ask you the question that I asked you that first time. And by the way, we, it took us a long time to sort of figure out whether we wanted to do this project. He investigated me. I investigated him. I guess I checked out okay. But I asked William, why did you change? Well, first, before I always speak, uh, Charlie mentioned that to a young man life at a very young age. And I went for a drug and never one son. And he's not my speak, I always do that because that person lives with me. And he always will live with me because that's in his life. So for most of the I was going to in my case, please. Thank you. Uh, every time I speak, I get real emotional. But don't think it's emotional that's going to, uh, it's a joy emotional. I swear, every time I speak, I don't spoke in large crowds. Every time I speak, I get emotional. Uh, I don't know why. Every time I never fast. Why did you change? Well, two, two main things happened to me in my life. Uh, I was in a, my first was in prison, no change in me. I had 85 years old, I was uh, 19 years old, I left the street. Probably had a million and a half cash somewhere. And uh, so change wasn't in me. first came out, 
So my thirst for education arose out of that. So that was my first change. So once I looked at myself, once the education got in me, and I realized that I was somebody, somebody great was inside of me, and uh, I started really working on myself. And then another thing happened. When you're in the federal penitentiary for taking on some, having a murder case or a serious case, you have to see a psychologist. And I went in there, have you ever seen the Antoine Fisher movie? I went in there like Antoine Fisher at first. I don't need to see no psychologist. Ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm a gangster. I'm a killer. I'm from New Haven. I don't need to talk to him. So I was sat in there for about four sessions meeting sports illustrators, telling them I'm just wasting my time. And about the fifth or sixth session, me and him started talking. So that was the second best thing that ever happened to me because that was the change. I threw this question out. I threw this question out to my table, to a young lady at my table that said with me, I want to throw this out to the crowd one time. What's worse than trauma? Anybody? Nobody don't know that? This is pleasure. African American, African community, rampantly, and some of your communities, some of your own households. Untreated trauma. Untreated trauma is worse than trauma. You experience a trauma, but nobody gets treated in my neighborhood, where I'm from. No one's coming in. No psychologist. Nobody has no money to pay no psychologist. And we think it's taboo. And we won't go do it. So that's a major problem. So think about if we can get that in my community changed. Oh man, we have more kids being first year students. We have more people entering more professional jobs. But I know one thing, crime will be down. Violent acts will be down. Domestic cases will be down. So Charlie, get back to the questions. I <laughs> So one last question before Diane. Well, I, I guess we have a few minutes. So it took, we met weekly uh, in a halfway house. William has two full-time jobs in New Haven. One of them is a very hardworking guy, and one of them is as a violence interrupter. So uh, he now co-directs a team that was created in the time that we wrote the book, and the book has been, I must say, part of the success of the team. It's called the Connecticut VIP program, the Violence Intervention Program. And he goes into the neighborhoods that he used to terrorize and works with the kids. And as he says, uh, death or prison is what, you know, was going to be in front of you, I'm here to tell you. And what William can do, and I've seen it because I've gone into the streets with him, is he's able to give tough kids um, an honorable exit from crime. So in New Haven, he's known as June Boy. And um, so if June Boy says, if you get dissed or hurt or threatened and you want to take revenge, and of course it's all this sort of young male, you know, uh, edge. Um, if June Boy says you don't have to retaliate, um, and often he works out a very strategic uh, solution to it, um, they don't retaliate. Or sometimes they do, but a lot of times they don't. So in the book, there's a federal official, crime official, who thinks that William, and William would be the first to also 
um, credit the police and the community policing in New Haven, but um, there are people that think that in that violence intervention work that William has, you know, probably stopped 15 or 20 homicides. So I guess the, the last question, William, is we have developed a very close friendship and a very good rapport, but, and we grew up 20 miles apart and share uh, tragic interest in the New York Jets and, and that kind of stuff, but um, it took three years between you and me to break down or to create the trust, even though we treated each other very well. Um, can you comment on that? <laughs> First of all, Charlie, you sent me back into uh, treatment. <laughs> really serious. And it was, it was needed. I mean, uh, when I first met Charlie, I didn't trust him. I, didn't tr I mean, that's just the screen to me. So I did investigate him. I mean, thoroughly. I know people, and I investigated him. I wanted to know what I could know about him. I wanted to know what he stand for. Uh, so I did investigate him. Uh, he was entering my world. And I said this to him all the time, Charlie is probably the greatest author I know. I don't know many, but Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, why I say that is because Charlie, I let Charlie into my world. Not know, knowing me that he wasn't going to get anything. When I said get it, he wasn't going to get it. The way you explain that to me more, what that means, face fighting. You know, stuff like that. I knew he didn't know because we came from two different worlds. But what he did was he captured it. So I told him I didn't want to write that average hood book. Shoot him up, bang, bang, bump, be more careful, all that. I didn't want that. I wanted this book to be able to touch first year students, doctors, lawyers, judges, streets. I want this book to be able to touch everyone, and I think that's what it does when you read this book. It's going to touch anyone. It's also going to move a lot of, a lot of your biases. A lot of you got a lot of bias in you. You're still living on to your uh, grandmother and grandfather and father theories of how this world should run. And this world is running out of technology high, but you younger students coming and younger, you know, society is coming, and they must get away from the old way, because the old way did not work. What your grandmother and great grandmother taught you and how you got these jobs, that didn't work. So that was one thing. But Charlie was, uh, you know, once I met a man, he got it. He got it. I mean, he got it. He, he, he really understood it. I had so much respect for him, and he always had to be honest with me. And I'm big on that. I'm big on honesty. I'm always big on honesty and loyalty. And he had always been honest and loyal with me, you know, about anything. And, you know, Glad that this relationship, you know, took us five years. Me and William, five years, and you know, and discussing and a lot of stuff in the book. I gave him, I gave him me. When I say I gave him me, I probably gave him more than I gave my fiance that's here with me. I think Charlie might know more about me than she do. Probably. <laughs> Thank you very much. We appreciate it. So I just wanted to ask you a quick question. So at the end of each episode, we like to ask who our guest favorite teacher was. So now I want to ask you, who was your favorite teacher? My favorite teacher was Miss Stevenson, my math teacher. 
at first I don't think she really wanted me in a class because at the time I had a, a reputation in high school as being like a jerk. <laughs> I, don't she wanted, I don't think she wanted me in the class, but once I got in the class, she told me she realized that I was uh, uh, a good student and really good at math. That's great. So, uh, so that's my favorite teacher, Miss Stevenson. Great, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, no, I can easily answer that because it's a very, very clear answer. <laughs> um, so my favorite teacher was a college professor, um, Dr. Robert Coles, who is still alive. Um, he is a psychiatrist, and he taught me uh, a class at Harvard called the Literature of Social Reflection, and then I later took a class with him called the Literature of Christian Reflection. And it focused on writers writing about social issues as Citizen Outlaw um, is the same area that um, Citizen Outlaw certainly traverses. And, you know, I was 18 years old, and I think that I certainly was interested in books and writing and documentary work about social issues, but this was the first major class that I'd taken, and it included people like George Orwell and, jeez, um, I'm trying to remember. George Orwell was the primary person who really, really influenced me. A book actually called Down and Out in Paris and London about homelessness in, in Paris and London. And so it just really excited me. Coles really excited me. He took a personal interest in me, which was kind of a big deal. He's a very prominent writer and doctor. I remember one day in the course, which was a large lecture course, he uh, and I went for about a five-mile walk on the Charles River in Boston, and which was very, you know, unusual. And and just he got to know me as a person, and then. After I left college, he and I stayed in touch, and he was remarkable about um, following up. So this was pre-internet, of course, and so I, and he wasn't a technological guy anyway, and so I would write him letters. All of our correspondence was by letters, and whenever I would write him a letter, I would religiously get a letter back from him within a week or two, and so he provided great support. But I think that as far as a teacher, he was utterly inspirational. He had a, um, he's very interested in the lives of the people that, uh, of the authors and then the lives of the people that the authors wrote about. And so I think this was an early touchstone for me in terms of the genesis of a book like Citizen Outlaw, interested not only in the issues, but the lives, the real impact on day-to-day living and how people negotiate these incredibly difficult life circumstances. So that, I think that Coles and the literature of social reflection in particular was an, you know, an early indicator, an early um, inspiration, an early stimulus of what became Citizen Outlaw. That's great, I love that. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks Michael, stay in touch, okay? Of course, yeah, will do. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.